0: Paul, an Apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus. Came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true God in the springs is great. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Grace be with you all. I'd like to just uh, remind you of one thing for those who are newer to our church today. It's not too late if you want to be part of Intro to Grace. It's at 5 o'clock in my office, and so that's right up the hill. If you're newer, you might not know, up the three steps First door on your left and intro to grace. So just let me know. Catch me afterwards and let me know if you're coming, if you haven't already done that. I know that there's at least five of you who have told me you're going to be there today. This is a great overview of our church. It's also required if you're going to be a member of the church and it leads into that. So I hope some of you will take advantage of that. If you're newer to the church, it's great to be connected, be part of the body. So please consider that today. Let's pray and we'll get into the sermon. And First Timothy, God, we thank you so much for your Word that gives us life; it gives us truth. God, we thank you for just the way that you're at work in our in our lives and our hearts. And as we're reminded today through the songs, through Brian's um, talk, uh, God, just how that you truly want to reshape our mind, and so easy to allow our minds to be controlled uh, by so many other things other than your Word, God. And I pray that you'll help us today that your Word might speak truth to us, and that we might. Um, respond to that truth and live for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How many of y'all saw the what was called the Christmas Star? Anybody see that? All right. So you know it wasn't obviously a star. It was Jupiter and Saturn uh, coming together. Is it still in the in the sky? I haven't even looked lately. It's still. Jeremy says it's still there. So the first night, I think it was December 20th or 21st, maybe the first night that it was supposed to be able to see. I was up here near the old sanctuary doors. And I went out, and I wanted to see it, it as turning dusk, and I wanted to see how you know big a deal this thing was. And here I am. I'm looking up into the sky, and I realize that you know what I'm staring at, what I'm looking at. I mean, is, is millions and millions of miles. You realize that 400 to 800 million miles away are these planets, and I'm staring and I'm looking. And I'm just in awe of this, and it really, as you were probably overwhelmed by the fact that these two were together, didn't really mean a lot to me, but it was cool just to kind of look and be a part of that. And as I'm walking and as I'm looking, I don't see the curb right beside of me, and I trip over the curb and stumbled in fall, but I stumbled over it. And I thought, how funny is that? Here I am looking at something millions of miles away and can't even see what's in front of me. And I think it's a perfect analogy for what we do spiritually a lot of times. We have these grand visions for what we want to be and what we want to do for Christ. We see, you know, God, you're amazing, you're awesome, and we can say all this great stuff about God. But when it comes to actually living out the Christian life on a day-to-day basis, we stumble over the simplest, most obvious things. And what are some ways that we do that? What are some ways that we stumble over obedience I think about a a man who desires to have a godly marriage, but he never takes the initiative to read the Bible with his family. Or the woman who's passionate about being a part of a vibrant, spirit-filled church, but can't find the consistency to attend her K group every week. Or someone is outspoken about the church. It's so awesome that we're sending missionaries across the world, and we're giving to that, we're committed to that, Yet, if we're honest, we don't like the person who lives next door to us because they don't speak very good English. Or the man who constantly talks about and posts on social media about our nation turning back to God, yet he can't even open his Bible on a regular basis and read what God has to say. You see, we have these big visions. Oh, I want to accomplish so much for you, God. I want to see so much for you, God, yet we're stumbling over the things right in front of us. Eugene Peterson, who died, I think, earlier this year, could have been in 19, he uses this expression, long obedience in the same direction. I've used that term many times before, but he says this. He says, there is a great market for religious experiences in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And that's what Paul is going to challenge Timothy as he's winding down the book of 1 Timothy, the letter of 1 Timothy. He's going to challenge Timothy in some areas where you got to stick with these little things and you got to go the distance. You got to be consistent when it gets tough, like a coach at halftime of a football game, is reminding his players, Timothy, it's not going to be easy. Stick with the game plan. Stay with it. Don't quit. And so let's go back to First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to only cover two verses today, verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, this section is marking a clear climax to the book as we've been studying it. And Paul, right away, he wants to get Timothy's attention in a unique and special way. And if you were reading this, you may just read past this, no big deal. But when he says to Timothy, he says, Oh, man of God, that's extremely significant. You see, that term was reserved for the elite men of God, the prophets of the Old Testament. And Timothy is the only person in the New Testament who is referred to in this way. So he's instructing his young protege, Timothy, and he says, Man of God. Oh, man of God. And he gets Timothy's attention for this statement that he uses. And what he's telling Timothy is, you need to be who you are. Tim- Timothy, Timothy, who has been very reluctant to step up, very reluctant to confront. And he says, here's who you are, Timothy. You're a man of God. And in the, that term in the technical sense in the Bible was used for those who spoke for God. Timothy, you're speaking for God to this congregation at Ephesus. Be bold, be courageous, have confidence. But what's unique and interesting is the fact that after he challenges Timothy in this way, you man of God, the next thing he says is to run. All right. We don't usually think, be a man and run from a situation or from an encounter. What's he talking about? We don't think about running if we're stepping up to the plate. He's telling them to run from some things. Look what he says. He says, the man or woman of God flees from sin. He says, specifically, the love of money, which Jeremy did a great job talking about last week. We're reminded in Scripture several times of the fact that we just need to run from certain situations. We're told to flee from immorality. Just get away from it, don't flirt with it, don't play with it, run from it. We're told to flee from idolatry. We're told to flee from youthful lusts. And here he says, flee from greed. Let's go back and just look at verse 10 from last week to put it this in context. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs but it's for you, old Timothy, flee these things. So these false teachers who were motivated by greed and money, he said, Timothy, this is not the case for you, man of God. Don't play around with this. Greed can get you just like it can get everyone else. It can suck you in. And and this word that he uses for fleeing is constantly just fleeing, constantly being aware of it and getting away from it, running from it. And we don't think about, honestly, do we? We don't think about prosperity as a danger which to run from most of the time. We don't think about the love of money as something that I got to get away from that. You know why? Because we think about, when when we picture in our mind, most of us, when we think about the love of money, what instantly comes to mind is the green stuff that we carry around. And you're like, I don't love money. I don't even really care for money because it's like dirty, you know? Everybody handles it. It's got COVID-19 on it. I don't want I mean, money. I don't love money. I don't want, like, give me money, give me money. I'm not, like, wanting the green stuff. But what we want is we want what money enables us to be able to do. So call it whatever you want, but money gives us what we want. And money provides for us what we truly desire. And so we like the acquisition of power that comes with money. Because I can do what I want when I want to do it. And that's the danger at the root of it, of what he's warning, warning Timothy about. Is you cannot find God as just an avenue for you to get what you want out of life. And to get what you want in situations. Don't use God. Don't think you can maneuver the situations where you get money so you can do what you want to do and live the way you want to live. You're, oh man of God, you're to live for me. You're to live for my calling and my purposes, not for what you can get out of it. And so what happens when we begin to put our trust in money in prosperity and materialism, what we do is we transfer our trust from God over to the wealth that we've acquired or the security that we've acquired through wealth. And so all of a sudden, we don't really need to depend upon God. None of us have to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I I would think nobody in here has to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You're worried where you might go for your next meal, but you're not worrying about the finances to get that. And so what happens over time, we replace our dependence upon God to this love of money, this love of materialism, this love of these things that give me security and give me peace. And that is very, very seductive for all of us, including Timothy. Paul Tripp writes this. He says, Your thoughts about money and your use of money are always an expression of the deepest treasures of your heart. Money will expose what you really value and what you truly serve. Money will be a means that you will use to insert yourself in the middle of your world or it will be an expression of your constant awareness that you were put on earth to serve another. It's true. Follow the trail of your money, and it will show you what you truly love. And it's humbling, because if we're honest with one another, including myself, we've grown so accustomed to prosperity and comfort that we don't even recognize the dangers of it anymore. He says, Oh, man of God, this isn't just something that's a problem that you're going to have to struggle with. He says, run from it. Get away from it. Now, clearly, we have to have money to work within the system of this world. It, it operates. We can't provide for our family. We can't put meals on the table without working within the system that God has given us. But it's a whole different thing when we transfer our dependence upon God to our transfer, our dependence upon wealth and acquisition and what we have, because those things are fleeting. And he says, run. And then the second one he says, he says, the man or woman of God, they pursue holiness or godly character. Look at verse 11. He says, You flee from this, but you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So you flee from the sin. But you don't just run, you pursue holiness. Flee, pursue. This practical experience of a man or woman or God is in the continual process of flight from one thing and pursuit of another thing. Let me break that down to real practical. When I was a youth pastor for many years, oftentimes I dealt with teenage parents, parents of the teenagers, who honestly, their goal for their student was simply, I don't want my kid to be to drink, I don't want him to have sex before marriage, and I want him to be a pretty good person. And, and if I can get through high school years and accomplish those things, it's a win. And that was what was constantly was the battle, was because they felt like that being godly was all defined by the things that they ran away from, not anything that, they ran too. In fact, I had one parent of a student told me this. He said, he point blank had told me already in the past that was his goals for his kid. Everybody else drinks. You know, that was his litmus test for whether his kid was godly or not because he didn't drink. And, and, he, and he said this. He said, look, I know youth group is some people's thing, but it's, it's not my son's thing. He said, my son loves student government at school, and he's super involved in sports, Youth ministry is not his thing. You want to know the really scary thing? That guy was my pastor. You see? We get it turned around. i got to run away from sin, and that's holiness, right? But we're not running to anything. And in our marriage group this morning, Michelle brought this up so true, The foundational point today was we have to build our marriages upon the glory of God. And we talked about that. We was like, okay, who in this room heard that before you got married, that your marriage is for God's glory? Nobody. Premarital counseling, didn't hear it. Never heard it at church. Or if I did, it went right over my head. That our marriage is first and foremost for God's glory. And Michelle said, I thought that Living for God's glory was just simply, at that time, it was simply just being faithful to my husband and doing the right things. You see, it's all about not doing the bad stuff. Leave, flee, but there's no pursuit. Don't fall into that, trap, parents. Don't look. keep the bar super low and say, just be a good kid, keep your nose clean, and don't do these things. Set the bar high. Love Jesus. Be in His Word. Talk about Jesus. Have conversations about Him at home. Care that your student, your child, wants to be part of the DNA of the church body. They can learn so much, even at the age they are now, being part of a group, part of a body and serving one another. Don't sell them short. Run from one thing. Run from sin. Run to something else. So a man or woman of God is known not only by what they flee from, but what they pursue. And look what he says. He says, here's the things to pursue. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And we've gone through these lists before. Because of time, I'm not going to walk through each one of these things. But that's why we have the church app. The app has a definition of all these things, so I don't have to spend the time on it. I'm going to focus on just one of these today because it's one that probably doesn't get a lot of attention. And again, particularly when you're talking about a man of God particularly, this is one that you don't naturally think of, which is the last one on the list, which is gentleness. Gentleness. Our tendency when bad things happen is to, the, to do the opposite of gentleness, right? I'm right there with you, guilty as charged. I'm competitive, and when I'm pushed, when things aren't going well, I mean, I I fight. I mean, I want to go in and I want to like bust through walls and take down people. And he says, pursue, and gives this incredible list, and then he says, gentleness. What is gentleness? It's the way that we treat our adversaries. It's the way that we deal with people who may not see the world the way that we see it. It's understanding that my strength must be under control that my responses and attitudes must be controlled by the holy spirit and so he says gentleness is about how you respond to difficult people even that person on facebook who disagrees with you or that neighbor across the street who wants to constantly bait you and get you and bait you into debates with him Instead of responding in anger or with impatience, the man of God seeks to respond in a gentle manner. It doesn't mean you hide from the truth, you're scared of the truth, but it means you do it in a way that brings glory to God. And he says, Timothy, as you're dealing with these false teachers, these adversaries, here's what I want you to run to. I want you to to pursue these things. I want you to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness, power under control. How do you respond to difficult people? It's definitely not, again, one of my stronger qualities. I've been accused of being a bull in the china shop many times in my life. And the moments, I mean, when something happens, I feel like fighting oftentimes. So it's a good word for all of us, especially in this time, that we we pursue gentleness. And then the third thing he says in this passage, he says, The man or woman of God fights for the faith. Some of you, that's, that's where you want to camp out. Like, okay, the man of God fights, all right? Fights for the faith. Look what he says. Fight the good fight of the faith. The man of God is not only known by what he flees and pursues, but what he fights for. And this language here that Paul uses is very intense. It's, it's a military metaphor. It's an athletic metaphor. It's voluntary athletic agony. It's when you're going through something difficult, strain, working out, and it's that That just I feel like I can't do another rep or I can't do another step. And it's keep going and keep going forward. And that's the the picture that he's given for fighting the fight of the faith is don't quit. Don't stop. It's hard. It's difficult. But don't stop. That's what he wants Timothy to understand and get this picture in his mind that it's not going to be easy. A lot of probably people who are under the age of 25 may not know this name. Walter Payton. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before. If you're younger, many of the older people here, football fans, you know Walter Payton, one of the greatest running backs of all time. But during one Monday night football game, an announcer observed that Chicago Bears running back, Walter Payton, had accumulated over nine miles in career rushing yards. Nine miles of rushing yards. And then the color uh, color coordinator, the other what's his name, the color commentator. Sorry, the one who points out the other stuff. He pointed out. He said, "Hey, let's put this in perspective here. Yeah, he's ran nine miles, but that's with somebody knocking him down every 4.6 yards. That's the picture that Paul wants to get across here. Is it's tough. It's difficult. You're going to get knocked down fighting the fight of faith. It's going to be hard work. Leading your family is hard work." Because your kids roll their eyes like, for real, dude? We're looking at the Bible? Come on. Or maybe you feel inadequate and you, you pray and your prayer doesn't sound as smooth as maybe Brian Parker's does. And, and, and you're like, man, do my family, they think I'm an idiot here? I'm trying to lead and they are like, think I'm incapable. I don't know. I feel so insecure in this moment. That's where you fight the fight of faith. Not in the grandiose four million miles away stuff, but this is the stuff right in front of us that we pursue Jesus and we fight for faith in those moments. We fight for faith when the alarm goes off in the morning 30 minutes early so we can get up and spend time with God. And we also fight for faith when we go to bed 30 minutes earlier the night before so we can get up the next morning 30 minutes earlier to be with God. It's turning the TV off. It's turning off social media. It's sacrificing for God's kingdom. It's saying, you know, we could afford this car, but we're going to settle for this car because we don't want to sacrifice our giving to God's kingdom and the church. We want to make an impact. It's it with a friend or a neighbor feeling uncomfortable about turning a conversation to spiritual truths, but it's doing it anyway. That's fighting the fight of faith. It's confronting a sinning brother or sister so hard. Why? Because it always gets turned back around on you, right? Right? Oh, I, you're not perfect. Who do you think you are? Those are the fight of faith. And our generation must contend for the faith. And there's a lot of confusion right now in our nation of what this means and what it looks like. I was talking to my brother out in Washington State. He's a police officer, ex-Marine, just a great guy. And But he, he hasn't been in church in years, if he's watching this. Get in church, Paul. Um, he hasn't been in church in years, but he, he, he's on Facebook, and he's telling me, I'm scrolling down through Facebook, and, I'm, and he's talking about back the people from our home church back in West Virginia. He's like, all these people on there, they're like, yeah, go! Storm the Capitol! Take it! And he's like, and okay, so he, this is not a spiritual man here. And he's like, what is that? I mean, if anybody's a patriot, it's him. Ex-Marine, cop. And he knows that doesn't line up with Christianity. Storming the Capitol and burning things and tearing stuff down. It's not who we are. And it's very natural to get angry when we see our country just continue in sin and reject God and push God away. Yes, but the fight that we fight is the fight for faith. We must not be contentious. We must fight for biblical faith. And the passage that comes to mind to me is 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Why? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what he's saying is we don't fight the way that the world fights. Our weapons, our swords, our guns, our bombs do nothing for spiritual warfare. They don't. They make no impact in spiritual warfare. Fleshly weapons and fighting through fleshly means don't do what needs to be done. They don't. He goes on. Paul says in verse 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So look what he says. He says, we fight by spiritual weapons and what is that spiritual weapon it's the word of God it's what Brian said it's truth we fight these lies with truth because people who don't know God people who want to dismiss God you can't go in there and, and want to fight them because they don't believe in God you don't punch them and submit them into believing to God you give them truth you give them the word and the Holy Spirit works through the word to change people's hearts and lives and it's not our job to change them is God's job, who changes the hearts. And so remember that. I put in the app, if you're following in the app, great sermon by Doug Wilson. Jerry Edson sent it to me. Listen to it, tremendous. Don't read it, the sermon, listen to it, because he, he goes way deeper than he does in the, in the transcript. Great message on this very passage of scripture. We can't fight spiritual battles, and we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. There's something bigger going on here. And it's a spiritual war. And you fight it with spiritual weapons. The Word of God. Know the Word. Be in the Word. Share the Word. Be ready to confront with truth, not your opinion. Not with fists drawn, guns drawn, but with truth. It's a a matter of really discipleship. It's a battle for the mind. Look what, he, look what he says in that verse. He says, he says, we destroy these arguments. How? We, but we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're destroying it through discipleship, through knowing the Word, preaching the Word through ourselves. It's here. And you know what I'm talking about, some of you. You can't control your mind. You let your mind drift. I, I'll be honest with you, okay? Here, here we go. Honest moment. I'm never rarely on social media this weekend— I just gave in to the temptation, and I was on social media quite a lot more than I normally am. And I don't know if you're like me, but, man, I was angry. You know what I thought? If I did this all the time, I would be a disaster for the kingdom of God. I would accomplish nothing for his kingdom, because all I want to do is debate on Twitter. Tell somebody why they're stupid, or you don't see the big picture, or it's not consistent the way your argument is. You're saying this, but then you're not saying this. I want to fight all those battles. It does no good. Because I'm fighting a spiritual battle with human logic. Not the Word of God. Not truth. People need Jesus. We need Jesus. And we let the Word of Christ, Brian's words again, let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us. We fill our minds with the Word. And that's how we fight the good fight of faith. And then go back to verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of the eternal life. Hold on, Pastor John. I thought that like we've already taken hold. That's like past tense. We've already taken hold of eternal life. When I prayed a prayer and put my faith in Jesus, then I took hold of eternal life. Well, interestingly enough, Scripture refers to eternal life sometimes as the future, but other times as a present reality. We see this in John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus says, This is eternal life, knowing God the Father and knowing me, his son. That's eternal life. So the man of God must fight for and seize eternal life daily living out the gospel. He says, take hold of it. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. So what does that mean practically? How do you you make that practical? Something we do. It's getting your mind off of the flesh and onto the heavenly eternal kingdom. Getting your mind off the flesh and onto God's purposes. In God's plan, God's will. Somebody once said that Christians are so much in the clouds that they're of no earthly good. And I've got the quote mixed up. But I think they got that wrong. The fact is, we need our minds set on the things above, Scripture says, not on things of the earth. Yes, we live this out in a world that loves money and operates through materialism and wealth and all these things that we have to be part of a part of the system but we don't focus our mind there we don't lay up our treasures there we lay up our treasure in heaven and that's fighting for eternal life that's seizing eternal life that's taking hold of eternal life by not focusing on the here and now as near as much as we focus on God's kingdom his will, and his purpose. And he, and he reminds Timothy, he says, you do this, you remember your good confession. Remember when you confessed your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Remember that, Timothy? Remember you did it. There were, there were witnesses there, Timothy, who saw you. You know that's true. Paul's just reminding him. He's stirring him up. He's giving him that pep talk. Timothy, your allegiance is to Jesus. It's not to greed. It's not to fear of the false teachers. It's not by caving in in these moments. Your allegiance is to Jesus. Seize eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. You made this confession. Your allegiance is not first and foremost to your family. Jesus said that, right? He said, if you want to come after me, you must hate your father and mother. What does that mean? It means your love for them looks pitily and small compared to your love for Jesus. I love Jesus so much that my love I have for my earthly family looks almost like hatred. We're to love Jesus more than we love our church. We're to love Jesus more than we love our country. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So in these times, let's be real, in these times where it's easy to let our minds just go. And it's easy to think about all the injustices that we see taking place and all the deterioration of our culture and all the taking God and just booting him out of our society completely. We're changing the guide of the Bible to some guide who we want to make in our image. It's so easy to respond with fleshly weapons. The song said it earlier. We fight on our knees. We fight in prayer. We fight through the power of Jesus. We fight preaching the gospel to ourselves again and again. And we fight through gentleness and love and righteousness and holiness. That's what people need to see. I I dare say that if people would see the church living for Jesus, and if we hadn't let down our guard and, and, and turned over our culture, things wouldn't be where they are today. But holiness has to start in the church. Revival starts in the church. Judgment starts in the church. I agree with you, 40 million miles, but do you agree with me tomorrow when you wake up 30 minutes early and open the Word to read? I believe you. You're right. I'm psyched. And then you get in front of your family. You can't do it. I need to lead them in in the Word. I can't. I don't know what to say. I feel so incapable. Those are the moments that we live it out. Long obedience in the same direction. So, our head, we belong to Jesus. Know that. You made a confession, did you not? You made a confession that your allegiance is Jesus and Him first and above everything else. He's your God. Heart, long obedience, just being faithful. It's consistent, day in and day out. And then our hands, fight for faith. Don't quit. Preach the gospel to yourselves. Let the word of Christ just richly dwell in you. You know, I know some of you today, you feel like you've been kicked, beat down, stepped on. You're discouraged, plain and simple. You're discouraged. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spiritually look back behind you And see the eight miles that you've come, or nine miles that you've come. And you just went another 4.6 yards. And once you get yourself up, you flee from sin, pursue holiness, fight the good fight, and keep charging forward, being faithful in the little things, long obedience in the same direction. Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us perspective on the mess that's called this world that's scarred by sin, destroyed by sin, yet you are redeeming it. You are breaking through. That you're calling your people out. That we, those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who, who believe in our allegiances in Jesus Christ, We're being called to lead at this moment and lead through love and righteousness and godliness and gentleness and faith. And God, I pray that we will take the steps of obedience each and every day to bring every thought into captivity and allow your word to fill up our minds. And then we can be ready to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray.